Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good evening. So tonight is a little bit different than the other nights, if you haven't figured it out already, as Rocket explained to us. Let's do a little recap over the last couple nights. Remember Sunday night, we focused in on the fact that we are made in God's image. You are made in God's image. The person next to you, also made in God's image. And we should live and act like we're made in God's image. We should treat those around us as if they, too, are made in God's image. We also found out Sunday night that I am bald. And for some reason, that's a significant thing. Be rad, I see you in the back. Bald guys unite. Monday night, Monday night we took time to explore the concept that you were made to be a part of something much, much bigger than yourselves. And if you're in the family of God, you're in a position to be a huge part of what has been taking part in history through prophets, through the disciples, through Jesus Christ himself. And then last night, we explored the concept that you do not need to get yourself figured out before you get to Jesus. And tonight, we're going to dive in a little bit more about what that looks like. But I did promise I'd give you a couple more facts on who my son is. Some of you have already figured it out. Some of you are still trying to figure it out. I can tell you that he is tall. He's not as tall as me. Not yet. He will be. I can also tell you that he never finished the second grade. So, little, little shade going his direction. We'll figure that out. All right. Last night I said he's going to play several different instruments. Truth be told, he's the only student in our town to skip a grade. So it was a big uh, three-month battle of his uh, second-grade teacher trying to convince the town that it's okay to send him up. And he got moved up halfway through second grade into third grade and finished in the top five percentile of state testing for third grade. So he might be a genius. Stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't, because I have to live with him. Don't, don't blow him up. Okay. Uh, leader. Counselor. I want you to do one thing for me right now. You know what tonight is. This is the third time you're going through it. There's a student on your mind that you're thinking through that needs to hear something special tonight. Maybe a couple students. Take the next minute or so and pray on them, please. You know their face. You know their story. I've been praying in generals all week. You guys can pray in specifics. So take the next minute or so and be praying on them, please. Pray that God gives them the boldness to take a step of faith. Pray that he gives them the boldness to speak with you. 
So be on that for the next couple minutes. Students, young men, young ladies, God wants you to be a part of his family. You have been created in the image of God. You have been given the free will to love God or to reject him. And that's a choice that you have to make for yourself. Not your parents, not your counselor, not your favorite social media influencer, not your friends, you. You have to make the choice for yourself. At the end of tonight, I'm going to ask you a question. The question is, what are you going to do about Jesus? Quite simply, Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son, whom God sent to earth to experience everything that we've experienced, to, to be fully man, to, to be able to have the same feels and the same struggles that we do in our earthly bodies. And yet, through all of that, he remained perfect. He remained sinless. And then when he's roughly 33, 33 and a half years old, they sent him to the cross to die. And during those hours on the cross, all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were placed on him. And he was separated from his Father God and died. And three days later, he rose again. He showed himself to over 500 individuals. He showed himself to his disciples and he encouraged his disciples. And then after a few weeks, he went to heaven where he lives today. He died. He suffered that separation from God because he loves you. He loves the person next to you. Like we saw in Romans 5, and we'll get to a little bit later, that while you were yet sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. I'm going to go over a couple of unique stories tonight, different accounts in the Bible. If you go to John chapter 6, there are some amazing miracles that happen in John chapter 6. Two of the most popular miracles that Jesus ever did. The first one was the feeding of the 5,000. You guys remember that story? All church people remember this story? Feeding of the 5,000. And over the last couple decades or so, when you say it's the feeding of the 5,000, someone's going to go, no, uh, it was like, it was only 5,000 guys. It was like 20,000 people. It's still impressive, 5,000 or 20,000. He fed 5,000 people, 20,000 people with how many pieces of bread? And how many fishes? And then how many buckets of leftovers? Well, good people, good job. This is one of the most incredible miracles of the scriptures. It's the only one that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Each one of the men that wrote the Gospels decided this was important enough to write down. Then, even more impressive, after the day Jesus spent teaching the people, Jesus spent time multiplying the food so he could feed the people, physically feed the people there. After he spent time doing this, he sends his disciples away. He says, listen, go cross the lake. Head on out, I'll meet you there later. So his disciples get into a boat, and they head across 
the Sea of Galilee, to the town of Capernaum. That night, Jesus walks away on his own to spend a little time with God. And then in the middle of the night, while the boat that the disciples are in is enduring a bit of a storm, Jesus walks on water out to meet them. Amazing. Amazing. Two of the most incredible miracles. The next morning, the crowd of people that Jesus had just fed, they're getting up, they're gathering together, and they're trying to find Jesus. Where'd he go? They knew that the day before, after he fed everyone, there was one boat, that one boat went away, but Jesus stayed. So they figured, well, Jesus has to be around here somewhere. They're looking around for Jesus, but we know what? Jesus did what? Walked on water, sent the boat, or met the boat away. Now he's in across the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 6, verse 22 says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone alone. So they're looking for Jesus. Eventually, they discover that Jesus is not there. Some other boats come in, and they find out that Jesus is, in fact, across the Sea of Galilee over in Capernaum. So they decided to go and find him. Why do you think they're looking for Jesus? Go ahead, shout it out. What do you think? To thank him? Okay, what else? Second, to thank him. That's two thank yous. That's good. They're hungry and they want more food. That's exactly why they're looking for Jesus. That bread, that fish was so delicious, they wanted to have it all over again. Or maybe this time, some kid will bring about some pigeon or some pizza or something like that, and he can multiply that. When they get to Capernaum and they find Jesus, now, I don't know if the whole crowd came, but a large majority of the crowd came looking for Jesus because they wanted more food. When they get to him, they don't ask him any deep theological questions. They say, uh, Jesus cuts through all the stuff. In John chapter 6, verse 25, so they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, because he knows their heart. He says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set the seal. They ask him, when did you come here? And quickly, Jesus realizes they don't really care when he came. They don't care how he came. They're just concerned that he left them. No deep theological questions. They only want to know when he had arrived. And God cut, Jesus cut right to the core of their issue. He says, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. You're seeking me because you're hungry. They wanted another meal. They wanted some more free food. Jesus knew that they did not have righteous intentions, but instead very selfish intentions on this. And that's like many of us. We have a lot of materialistic, a lot of greedy attitudes. We're constantly working for the food, for the attention that eventually is going to spoil. But not for the food that is going to last forever. 
which is Jesus Christ. They had a complete misunderstanding of God's ultimate plan. They followed Jesus for what he could give them. They wanted something now. They wanted something temporary, not eternal. Far too often we look to Jesus for what he can give to us now. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's power, maybe it's signs and wonders, influence, maybe it's simply just comfort. How many pastors and and church leaders and Christian leaders have abused the name of God in search of recognition and power and success? They're trying to seek and grab that food that perishes. The food that supplies your natural wants, the food that supplies what your natural heart desires is going to perish, is going to die, and it's going to pass away. But if you want strength, you want something that will never deplete, you want something that will be renewed and reinvigorated day after day after day, you need to seek the food that endures. You need to seek that which Jesus provides for us. It will supply all our spiritual wants, all our spiritual needs. It will nourish, it will strengthen our soul and spirit. Isaiah 40, 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus wanted them to focus on satisfying their eternal hunger, not the temporary hunger that they had. Now, they were not wrong to be hungry, and perhaps even they were not wrong to look to Jesus to help satisfy that hunger. But in this moment, they wanted Jesus for their own purposes, to serve their own needs. Young person, Jesus is not a vending machine. After he talks to them, the crowd asks him another question. They say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So now they get a little spiritual on this. And their question leads directly to the explanation of salvation. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. You believe him who God has sent. Now, as good Jewish people, they wanted some way to kind of work in order to gain God's favor. But the Lord pointed them, this is the one thing you need to do to find favor with God. The one thing you need to do to be a part of the family of God is simply to believe in the one he sent, to believe in Jesus Christ. Later on in this back and forth conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd in John 6:40, he says, listen, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the emphasis. This is John's writing. John is emphasizing the will of God. And the subject of the will of God is Jesus. 
Christian, young person, I'm sure in your life, and, 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 and leaders, counselors, I'm sure in your life, you're asking yourself every day, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What, what's God's will for my job? What's God's will for where I should live? What's God's will for whom, where, what college I should go to? What's God's will for my career choice? What's God's will for the person whom I'm to marry? The Bible's not going to answer that for you. It's going to say that this is God's will. The absolute plan of God's will for all people is to believe in Jesus. Thus, gaining eternal life and having the opportunity to experience resurrection on the last day. This salvation is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. You can't earn this. You can't do enough good things to get this salvation. What do we need to be saved from? Go back a little bit further, back into Ephesians. It says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of your flesh. You carry out the desires of your body and your mind. You are children of wrath like all of mankind. We're all sinners. We're all depraved. I love the song Amazing Grace because I love old hymns. Because old hymns don't beat around the bush. bush. They don't they get straight to the point. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. At birth, we are set apart as enemies of God. That sin nature that we've inherited. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. What does all mean? All. Everyone. Good. We've got some smart ones in this room. There is nothing you can do to earn the love of God, the grace of God. We do not deserve it. That's why it's called grace. The old adage of God's riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians 2.1, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You're separated. But then comes one of the great statements in Ephesians. But God. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Remember what we talked about last night. Do you think you're too messed up to be loved by God? Do you think your sins are too dark? You feel like maybe you're in a cycle of darkness. 
that not even God can get to? You feel completely unworthy of his love and salvation? Guys, I've been a child of God since I've been four or five. When I got into college, 19, 20 years old, two years ago, I finally had to make this relationship with God my own. And one of the greatest realizations I came to, or had to come to, is that I'm not worthy of the love and the grace that God extended to me. And there was nothing, nothing I can do to get more of God's love. That's how incredible God is. That's how amazing the heart of Jesus is. That in the midst that we are not worthy, he still loved us. Back to Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you, it, it, you can uh, exchange that with a lot of different words. While we're still enemies of God, he died for us. While we were still in, sitting in darkness, Christ died for us. And you don't need to change to receive this gift. You don't need to do anything. God already did it for you. You can't earn it. God gave his one and only son, and all he wants in return is for you to believe that, for you to trust in that. No righteous actions, no specific tithing, no good acts. There's nothing you can do that's good enough. All he wants is for you to just believe. I have two sons. One of them's here, so he's my favorite son this week. If Someone came to me and said, you sacrifice your son, I'll save the whole camp. I'll spare them. But they have to believe in that process. I wouldn't do it. I don't think I could. I don't love you enough. And I have a spare son at home. That's my son. He's my flesh and blood. But God's love, called nagape love, the Greek word, it's an indescribable kind of love. As close as I am to my son, God was even tighter with his son. And I actually like some of you. God gave up his son. And one of the most terrible things that happened at that time was not necessarily the death of Jesus, but that when Jesus took on the sins of the whole world, God could not look upon his son. Think about this relationship that had happened for all of eternity, and in that moment, they were separated. And that's when God cried, or Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the kind of love that God has for you. He says, I give you, I gave you my son. I want from you to believe and trust in that. Like, no, 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 God, but I can do so many things for you. I, I, 
I can help little old ladies across the street. I can tithe. I can serve in my church. I can, I can be a good little boy. I can listen. I can, I can, I can do devotionals every day. But God, if, if I do all this stuff, that's good, right? It's like a slap to God's face. No. All I want you to do is believe in this. All those things are good. They're good. But that's not salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Remember, the will of God is that all would be saved. No special words, guys. No special actions. No baptism. No sacrifice. No offerings. Just a very simple understanding. I am less than, and I need a God that is more than. Salvation comes to us inadequate sinners who realize that we need a Savior. One of my favorite accounts of Jesus comes from Mark chapter 9. There's a desperate father whose young son is suffering with a possession of an evil spirit. The spirit made the boy mute, caused him to have seizures, caused him to be foaming at the mouth. Mark 9, someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit who makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. We have a desperate father who loves his son, who has heard about this Jesus, who knows that the only way my son is going to get healed, the only way this demon is going to be gone, is to go to Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus asks, Father, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. It's a long time. A long, long time. He goes on, he said, look, from childhood, this demon often casts him in the fire, throws him into water to destroy him. And the Father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You see the word if? The Father's asking Jesus, if you can do anything? And when Jesus responds to the Father, he focuses on that one word, that one statement. And Jesus said to him, if you can? He says, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the Father recognizes the error of his ways. And what he comes back with is one of the greatest declarations in all of scriptures. And it is something that I cry out on a regular basis. Immediately, the father child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. At the same time, this is an incredible statement of faith and an incredible admission that our faith is far from perfect. Each one of us in this room has struggled at one time or another 
with unbelief. We struggle with doubts. We are not sufficiently placing our trust, our reliance in Christ. When you reach this point in time in your life, who better to cry out to than God Himself? Help my unbelief. Teen, if you have been here all week and you are continually hearing about this man, Jesus, about His love, His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all on your behalf, but you hear all this, but something is not yet clicking, can I encourage you to simply cry out to God? Help my unbelief. Christian teen, If you've been here this week, but life has gotten to you, you question yourself, you question God, your doubts, maybe they seem, your doubts are larger than your faith. But you know, you know, you know you need God's help. Because it's up to your own strength and your own faith, you'll never make it. Maybe it's time for you to cry out. Help my unbelief. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.